Right, hey, good morning. My name's Landon. I'm the area director of Young Life here in Roanoke, and I work with high school and middle school students all over the Roanoke Valley. I love what I get to do. I'm actually from here. I grew up in Roanoke, Virginia. I went to Hidden Valley High School. I graduated nine years ago, and I can vividly remember my high school graduation. It's for a bad reason. It's because the day I graduated high school, I, uh, I had a pretty uncomfortable situation. I tried to make a joke uh, that day that did not go over very well. Has anyone in this room ever told a joke that didn't go over very well? There's only like a fourth of you raising your hands. The rest of you are lying. You've definitely told a joke that did not go very well before. This happened to me the day I was graduating. We're at the Salem Civic Center, Hidden Valley High School graduation, and uh, you, you sit in alphabetical order, and I'm sitting next to two guys that I don't know very well. And, uh, you know, the graduation itself is exciting. There's new things coming. It's a celebration. But the, the ceremony can be a little boring. It can drag on. And I was sitting there a little bored, and um, the principal got up and started talking about yet another award they were going to give away that day. And uh, she started to explain that this award was going to go to two individuals in our high school who had achieved a pretty impressive feat. They had perfect attendance. And I'm not talking about perfect attendance like that, you know, that year or that high school career. This is their entire public school education career. They had never missed a single day. And I, for one, have some questions. Like, how's that even possible? How did they not get sick one day? You know, get their braces off? I don't know. Never missed a day. And so I see my opportunity clearly in front of me, and I think, I'm going to make a joke right here. And I'm going to get to know these two guys sitting next to me. I'm going to crack a joke. It'll be funny. It'll be hilarious. I put together what I thought was an amazing joke in my head, and so it was time to try it out. And uh, I leaned over to the guy to my left, and I prepared the joke very well, put it all together, and I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, Psh, nerds, am I right? And uh, I thought it was a pretty good joke, but to my dismay, the guy just kind of looked at me and shook his head no and was like, stop talking to me, and I was like, dang, that's a bummer. I really, I thought that was a great joke, but obviously whenever you tell a joke and it doesn't go well, you don't put it away, you try it again with a different audience. So I thought, okay, the guy to my right will think that's funny. So I leaned over to him and I tapped him on the shoulder and Nerds, am I right? Same thing, same response. Shook his head, was disappointed in the joke. I was like, man, I really felt like I had a good joke there. I was a little disappointed. And about that time, the principal said, um, you know, we're excited to announce these two students. Would these two students please stand to be recognized? And I know what you're thinking. Oh, Landon was surprised and he actually got the perfect attendance award. No, it's worse. The person to my left and the person to my right simultaneously stood up. I was sitting in between the two of them and I just kind of looked up at them. They looked down at me and shook their head at me. And fortunately, it was graduation, so they left and we never spoke again ever in our lives. Uh, it was unfortunate. But in that moment, I thought I was going to be on the inside. I thought that I was going to make a joke with these two guys sitting next to me and we'd have a laugh at someone else's expense. But what happened is the situation flipped on its head and I was left on the outside. And this morning, I'd like to take a look at something peculiar that we see happen all throughout Jesus' life. Something that happens when Jesus shows up. And it's this weird mystery that when Jesus is around, the people that seem like they would be on the inside are actually on the outside. And the people who seem like they would be on the outside, well, when Jesus shows up, they're brought in to the inside. And so we're going to take a look at two accounts in John's gospel, an interaction Jesus has with a man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. 
an interaction he has with a woman at a well in John chapter 4. If you've got a Bible, you can flip it open to uh, John 3, and we're going to look back and forth. John 4 was our reading this morning, and we'll read a little bit from John 3 as well. And the last thing I'll say before we jump in to these two passages is there is so much here. John 3 and John 4 could each be a sermon series of a month long if we wanted to, and there's so much to dig into that we're going to have to end up leaving on the table. So my encouragement and challenge would be, would you keep taking a look at Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus and this woman at the well? Because there's so much that I hope we get to take a look at some of it. So if you'll take it and flip it open to John 3, we'll start. And what we'll do is we'll kind of build up on the screen these two stories that sit side by side in John's gospel. You see, scholars would say John intentionally puts John 3 and John 4 right next to each other. He wants readers and the people he's telling about the life of Jesus to see these two stories that seem like polar opposites. But he's showing us something in both of these interactions. And so we'll take a look and we'll start in John chapter 3. And I'll read in verse 1 and it says this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. And so just in these first few verses, we get a few details about Nicodemus and this interaction he has with Jesus. And the first thing I want to point out is that Nicodemus is a man. And that might seem obvious, but it'll come into play a little bit when we jump into John 4. But Nicodemus is a man. And not only is he a a man, he's a Jewish man, and he's given a name. And again, those things might seem arbitrary right now, but we'll come back to those in John 4. But first we see that, then we see that uh, Nicodemus is an insider. You could say that Nicodemus is a religious insider. It says that he's a member of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were teachers of the law who worked very hard for religion. They had done so many things. They devoted their life to pleasing God and to showing God to the people. Nicodemus is our good guy. In fact, it even says he's a member of the Jewish ruling council, which means he was an elected official. So not only was he high up in religious standards, he also was loved by people. Nicodemus is the epitome of a religious insider. And the last thing we see about Nicodemus in this passage is that he goes to Jesus. We see that Nicodemus initiates this conversation. It says that he goes to Jesus by night. And some would say maybe he went by night because Jesus always had a crowd of people around him. And so it would have been hard for him to reach him in the daytime. But most likely, Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, knew that the Pharisees quickly started to dislike some of the things that Jesus was doing. And some of his biggest enemies in his time on earth were the Pharisees. So it would have been risky for Nicodemus to publicly go and interact with Jesus. But nonetheless, we see Nicodemus initiate this interaction with Jesus and he goes to him by night. And so we'll look at John 4. You can flip over maybe a page or two and we'll look back at John 4, which Brian read for us. And uh, we can see that these two stories are intentionally put together as kind of stark opposites. And so we have Nicodemus, a named man who is, is Jewish. What do we see? We see a Samaritan woman who's not given a name. Men and women did not speak publicly in this time. It was a big deal for Jesus to have an interaction with a woman in this time. She's a Samaritan woman, nonetheless. Jews and Samaritans, they did not mix. Those two groups of people hated each other. And then she's not given a name. 
And I wonder if John ironically is showing us that Nicodemus, an insider, is so significant he's given a name, a prominent man, and this woman is left unnamed. The second thing I think we see as an opposite of this is this woman is a moral outsider. If Nicodemus is an insider, this woman is the outsider. We can start to see that when we realize that this woman goes to the well in the middle of the day. You see, scholars would say that women went to the well in the evening times with their friends. It was their social hour. That was when they'd gather together and they'd support one another and they would go in the cool of the day. But yet we see this woman in the heat of the day, the sixth hour, 12 noon at the well alone. And we start to realize as we see her conversation with Jesus that she's an outsider. Why? Because she had had five husbands and the man she's with now is not her husband. And we'll talk a little more about that, but this woman has a reputation that precedes her and she couldn't go to the well in the evening times. She had to go alone in the heat of the day. She is the outsider of outsiders, a woman, a Samaritan woman, an immoral Samaritan woman. The odds are against her. And the last thing we see is that Jesus actually initiates this interaction. You might look at the story and say, well, the woman shows up to the well after Jesus. Yes, but if you look in chapter four, verse four, it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. And if you look, Jesus was traveling from Judea to Galilee. If you look at those two places on a map and you look from Judea to Galilee and you draw a straight line, you'd see that Samaria is right in between. So you'd think, well, of course, everybody goes through Samaria. But Jews, because they did not like Samaritans, they went the long way. They went to the east, they crossed over the Jordan River, and they went around to get back to Galilee. But Jesus says he has to go through Samaria. Perhaps it was divine intervention that Jesus knew he would interact with this woman at the well that day. And so we see Jesus initiate this interaction with this woman. And so John sets the two up and we can see that they're totally different. And we would expect that things would go well for the religious insider as he interacts with Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God, the one that he'd been waiting for all this time. Here he is face to face with him. Of course, this is gonna go well. And over here we see this moral outsider interacting with Jesus at a well and we think, uh-oh, this might not go so well. But as often happens, as we take a closer look at Jesus and who he is and how he interacts with people, he shatters our expectations. And I think what we'll see is that the gospel is shocking as he interacts with these two people. And so we'll keep going. And another similarity that we see uh, between these two stories is that as Jesus interacts with this man and this woman, he uses a metaphor to describe salvation. And so if you flip over to John 3, uh, and we'll look back in verse 3, after Nicodemus says those things to Jesus, Jesus jumps right in and it says in verse 3, in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And so Jesus begins to build this metaphor for what it means to have salvation, what it means to follow Jesus. And he says, you have to be born again. And uh, I'll speak on Nicodemus's defense here. He was confused, but probably for good reason. If you were just talking to a guy and he was like, you have to be born again, it would be pretty confusing. And Nicodemus says, how can a man be born again when he's old? Does he have to enter back into his mother's womb? And he's confused at what Jesus is saying. But I think what Jesus, or excuse me, what I'll say here is we are a little more comfortable 
with this language. This is a term that, that Christians or the church uses more often today. And when we think of being born again, perhaps you think of 2 Corinthians 5.17, uh, where Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone and the new is coming. We're more comfortable with this language now because we use it out of John chapter three, but Nicodemus is confused. But what Jesus perhaps is saying to Nicodemus in this moment is that you have to be born again. Nicodemus, a man who had worked hard in religion his whole life saying, look at the things I've done. I've been a good person. I've worked hard. I've been at all the meetings. I've done all the things. But yet Jesus says, you have to be born again. See, birth is a peculiar process. We've all been born at some point in our lives, probably the beginning. And uh, when we were born, we didn't have anything to do with the process. In fact, someone else labored so that we could be brought into the world. We didn't bring anything. We didn't do anything. We weren't consulted. And here's Jesus talking to a Pharisee, an elected official who's done so many good things. And he's saying, it's not about what you did. It's not about the things you've done. You have to be born again. And so we'll flip over and we'll come back to that in a minute. But John 4, Jesus similarly uses a metaphor to describe salvation. And as he's talking with this woman at the well and he asks her for a drink and he shatters all expectations by even having a conversation with her, let alone asking for a drink from the same cup that she would be using, it's shocking. And Jesus begins to talk about this idea of living water. And uh, we see that this woman, like I said before, has had five husbands and is with a man now who's not her husband. And we don't know what happened in those situations. Some would say perhaps she was wrapped up in affairs. Perhaps she had been uh, running and doing things that were wrong. Or perhaps things had happened to her. Perhaps she was infertile and she was unable to have children and, and she had been left. Or perhaps she had been widowed. We don't know if it's things she did or things that had happened to her. But regardless, we can tell that this woman has been searching and searching for love. She's been searching to be fully known and fully loved. And every single time, she seems to come up short. And Jesus looks at this woman and he says, no, no, no. It's not in the things you're searching for. It's in living water. And when you taste the living water, you will drink and be satisfied once and for all. You will never thirst again. And so we see Jesus use these two metaphors in both accounts. And the last thing that I want us to draw a comparison to in these two accounts is simply the result. And so if we look back in John chapter 3, Nicodemus and Jesus continue this conversation. And it goes through a long dialogue that Jesus says some awesome stuff. And he even includes John 3.16, perhaps the most famous verse. And Jesus finishes speaking. And then John doesn't give us any indication of what happens at the end of this interaction. And I'm wondering, is, is Nicodemus walking away mad, sad, disappointed, frustrated, confused? What happens? But in hearing nothing, we're left to assume that the religious insider stands face to face with Jesus, the Messiah, and he walks away unchanged. And we see an insider who seems to be left on the outside. And in the inverse, we see this woman in her conversation with Jesus. And then at the end, he reveals himself and he says, I who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah, he says at the end of their conversation. And what happens? This woman who's at the well at noon, a moral outcast, her heart is changed and she runs back into the town that has rejected her, the town that she's getting away from. The outsider becomes the insider and she goes back into her town and she gets to tell everyone about who Jesus is. 
What a unique vessel to use to reveal himself to this town. And we see the situation flip on its head and this woman who was an outsider gets to be the insider. Her heart is changed by Jesus and she gets to bring that to this town. And so we see these two stories set up as polar opposites by John and he draws our attention to them and says, we see the insider becoming the outsider and the outsider becoming the insider. What what does this mean for me and you today as we look at Jesus and his interactions with these two people? And I'd love to present three of many things that I think John is showing us about who Jesus is this morning as we close. And the first thing that I think John wants us to see is that Jesus is personal and he's intimate and he's after each of these individuals' heart. You see, Jesus knows Nicodemus' story. The gospel is not just for the woman at the well and not for Nicodemus. He sees each of them and he offers them the truth. And he sees them and he knows their story and he knows what they need to hear. And he knows that Nicodemus is a man who's worked hard his whole life and has tried to earn God's approval. And to that, he says, it's not about earning it. And to this woman who's been searching and searching for satisfaction, he says, you've been looking in all the wrong places. It's in the living water. Jesus is personal and he's intimate and he's after each of their hearts. And the same is true for me and for you. Jesus is personal and he's intimate. And this morning, if you hear nothing else, Know this, he's after my heart and he's after your heart. The second thing that I think John wants us to see this morning is that the gospel is unchanging. You know, it might be peculiar that Jesus uses two different metaphors to describe salvation, but the truth of the gospel does not change. It's the same for each of these people. You see, I think what we see with Nicodemus and this woman is two people that seem like they might be polar opposites. But what I would venture to say is what Jesus says to both of them is the exact same. You see, Nicodemus, like I said, is a man with a polished and clean resume, proud of the things he's done. And he's walking towards Jesus, remind you, he initiated this conversation. He's saying, look at the things I've done. Here's my resume. And Nicodemus is walking on a road filled with pride. And in the inverse, this woman is walking away, running away, heading to the, to the well in hiding with a resume that's broken, bruised, and tattered, torn up, and scribbled on. And she's walking in shame saying, I will never be good enough. And we see a road filled with pride, and we see a road filled with shame. But I think what we see is those two roads that seem to head in opposite directions, they actually wind and they dead end in the same place, and that place is despair. And Jesus shows up for both of them. And what he says is the same thing. And that's that it's not about your resume. Jesus says, your resume is no good here. It doesn't matter how good it is or how bad it is. The truth of the gospel is it's not about my resume and it's not about your resume. But Jesus doesn't just say, lay down your resume. He says more. And that leads me to my third point, which is that it all comes down to the cross. See, I don't want you to leave today and think, man, Landon gave Nicodemus a really bad rap because John, as he writes his gospel, he gives us these teeny tiny sprinkles of the rest of the story for Nicodemus, who seems to walk away unchanged. And as we follow the story of Jesus's life in John's gospel, we see 
that later Nicodemus, or excuse me, the teachers of the law are building a case against Jesus. And they're saying, it's time to put this guy to death. He's done too much. We need to get rid of him. And there's one man who speaks on Jesus's behalf. And that's Nicodemus. And then later at the end of the story, Jesus goes to Jerusalem during the weekend of the Passover feast. And he's put on a sham trial and the Jewish leaders give him over to the Roman government and he's put to death, death on a cross. And there on that cross, during the weekend of the Passover feast, Jesus is put to death. And it says that two men came and took Jesus's body. A rich man named Joseph of Arimathea and another man, you guessed it, Nicodemus. And I wonder if there in Jerusalem on the weekend of the Passover feast, as Nicodemus watched Jesus on the cross, if there he, he realized he needed to trade in his resume. It wasn't about the things he had done, but it was what Jesus had done there on the cross. And I wonder if Nicodemus, as he took Jesus' body off of that cross, as he hoisted that dead body off of the cross on the weekend of the Passover feast, as all of Jesus' followers had scattered, Nicodemus, a religious man, would have been deemed unclean for at least two weeks by touching a dead body. But I wonder if as he pulled his body off the cross to prepare it for burial with Joseph of Arimathea, if he knew that it didn't matter because there in his arms he held the true Passover lamb, the lamb of God who had taken away the sin of the world. And there covered in blood, blood that deemed him unclean by religious standards, if Nicodemus didn't care because he started to realize that that was the blood that washed him and all of us white as snow. You see, Jesus on that cross says, lay down your resume. But he also says, take me as your resume. You see, Jesus, the word who was with God in the beginning, left his place in heaven and was born to live a life and die a death for me and for you. Jesus, the firstborn of all creation, chose to be born, to live and die so that you and I could be born again. Jesus, on that cross that day, labored so that we could be made new, a new life in Jesus. And Jesus on that cross being put to death cried out, and you know what some of his last words in John's gospel were? He says, I thirst. And there on the cross, Jesus thirsted so that we could be satisfied. He is the living water. You see, Jesus doesn't just say, lay down your resume. He wants to be your resume. And I wonder who you might relate to most this morning. Perhaps you're like Nicodemus saying, look at the things I've done, I've earned it. This is what I have done. And Jesus says, lay down your resume. Take me as your resume. It's not about the things we've done, it's about what he has done. Or I wonder if we feel like that woman running away saying, we will never be good enough. There's nothing we could ever do. We've gone too far. And Jesus says, let me be your resume. This morning, Eric is gonna play a song and I'd love for the next few minutes for you to spend a few minutes just praying and reflecting on the truth of the gospel in these two accounts. And my question would be, 
Where are you in the story? And wherever that is, like I said before, Jesus is personal and he's intimate. And get this, he's after your heart this morning. And whether you're trying to earn it or saying, I will never be good enough, he says, let me be your resume. Would you be willing to lay down your resume? Whether for the first time you want to taste the living water or experience rebirth or you've experienced it before but somewhere along the way you picked up the resume again and you started trying to clean it up. Would you be willing to lay your resume down? Listen to the words of this song as Eric sings it. And would you be willing to lay your resume down this morning? Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Stop running Stop striving. Give them your resume. Lord, we thank you for this morning, the way that you're after our hearts. We thank you for the truth of the gospel, which is that you are our resume, that there's nothing we can do to earn your love or outrun it. It's in your name we pray. Amen.